Before we start the show, do not forget to check out NPR's Fresh Air, the podcast slash radio show hosted by Terry Gross. This week, she's got interviews with actor Michael K. Williams and Gabriel Sherman, author of a new book about Roger Ailes, who resigned last week as the CEO of Fox News. Get subscribed at npr.org slash podcast or on the NPR One app. All right, showtime. Hey, y'all, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. We are done. It is finished. The 2016 conventions are history. We are here to wrap up day four of the Democratic Convention from the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. Hillary Clinton gave her big and historic speech accepting the Democratic nomination for president. We'll get you caught up. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. We're up here in the booth. We are eye-lined with a few balloons that are just, the that balloons, didn't make it. The balloons that, that never drop. fell. The balloons that didn't make it to balloon heaven. Uh, or did to balloon earth. Well, whatever. <laughs> we're here, and we're about to not be. So that's a good thing. That's a good it's thing. It's been two weeks. Although Tamara's going to go back on the road. Yes. <laughs> See, this is the thing. I haven't been here that long, but now I'm going on what somebody told me is going to be a very long three-day bus tour. And this was someone with the Clinton campaign who said it's going to be a very long three days. But <laughs> well, before we let you go on that trip, let's talk about tonight. Um, the big news of the night was Hillary Clinton's speech. Let's hear how she was introduced. Um, the whole week has been so video heavy. So, of course, she had to have one with no other than Morgan Freeman himself, who was really, really low voice tonight, kind of voice of God with this. He was a narrator. Here is a woman. What does she dream of? When does she feel proud? It was really doing it on thick. Yeah, it was directed by Shonda Rhimes. I did not uh, know that. Yeah. Wow. Shonda Rhimes of... Um, Scandal. Scandal. What's that other one? Um, well, Grey's Anatomy. How to Get Away with Bad Plot Lines. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, it was a very sappy, you know, ad. I mean, it was almost like an ad is a video that was really intended to round some of the edges Did it work? of Hillary Clinton. I think it was a very effective ad. I mean, you saw her in a different light. I mean, Tam could speak to this, but like, I mean, her sitting in a kitchen, talking about kitchen table issues with the sleeves rolled up. You have to love this country, believe in this country, lift up the people in this country. She seemed real in that moment. And I think it's something that you don't get that connection. Everyone talks about how good she is in a small room one-on-one, -on -one, and that kind of, it almost like for the first time you got that impression that that's what they were going after, and that came through. Also, listeners, um, if you hear some popping in the background. Or a lot. A lot of popping. It's all the balloons that they're trying to get rid of here in the arena, so don't mind it. Bear with us. The same thing happened last week. We'll get through this. Anyway. Um, there was an anecdote in that video that I hadn't heard before, which... I've heard a lot of Hillary Clinton anecdotes over the last 18 months, but it was a woman who was injured in 9-11, yeah. and Hillary Clinton was invited to their wedding. I remember talking to Hillary, saying, I'm, I can't, I can't have this wedding unless I can dance. I can dance, I need to be able to dance my wedding for it to happen. And she, and she said, you're going to do it. I know you are. And she showed up. And she didn't bring a news crew. It was Hillary Clinton at this, at this person's wedding. So after that video, she took the stage after being introduced by her daughter, Chelsea Clinton. We'll have more on her speech later. But uh, that moment when she walked out, the crowd, of course, went wild. Ladies and gentlemen, my mother, my hero, and our next president, Hillary Clinton. And of course they played fight song. <laughs> I know you love that song. Um, 
I can't with that song. But so, like, what was it like in the room? I was on the floor. So was I. Um, wh- how was it for you to see the people there? What were they doing? People went nuts. Every phone was up in the air. People were very excited. Um, when she came on the stage, that was a really big moment. The thing that is sort of interesting to me is that the speech itself yeah. wasn't as emotionally yes. resonant as, as just I th- her being there on stage. Yeah. I figured that the moment of the whole week would be when she took the stage tonight. Not so much the words. She says herself she's not the best speech maker. And the speeches of the week already had been better than anyone could have thought. Like, how do you top the president? And but, the good speech that he gave. I think for so many folks, just seeing her there was powerful. There was a guy next to me. Uh, as soon as she walked on the stage, he began sobbing, weeping openly, loudly. Just her there in that moment. And the history of it was, was enough for him. I think that's totally true. I think that the Democratic Party and all of the star power that they had really set the table for Hillary Clinton tonight. Yeah. And she had to kind of step up and make a good speech. She made a good speech. I wouldn't say it was a great speech. Yeah. It was about as good as a speech that she could give, to be honest. So let's hear some of the tape of that speech. Uh, first, she gave props to everyone from her husband, to Obama, to Chelsea, to Bernie. And then she made an early kind of rebuke of Donald Trump. Don't believe anyone who says, I alone can fix it. Yes, those were actually Donald Trump's words in Cleveland. And they should set off alarm bells for all of us. Really? I alone can fix it? Isn't he forgetting troops on the front lines? police officers and firefighters who run toward danger, doctors and nurses who care for us, teachers who change lives, entrepreneurs who see possibilities in every problem, mothers who lost children to violence and are building a movement to keep other kids safe. He's forgetting every last one of us Americans don't say, I alone can fix it. We say, we'll fix it together. I think it's fair to say that a big goal of this speech and the whole goal of this week was to introduce Hillary Clinton in this new, extra-personalized way and to acknowledge some of her weaknesses as a public figure. And she did that right away herself. We have some tape of that. The truth is, through all these years of public service, The service part has always come easier to me than the public part. I get it that some people just don't know what to make of me. There's this thing with Hillary Clinton where people believe that she is only doing this. She is running out of sheer personal ambition, out out of sheer just wanting to be president of the United States. Now there's nothing wrong with that. Lots of people have run for president because they have a lot of ambition. That's not unusual. And you can't do it without a lot of ambition, right? Right. And ambitious is a word that is sometimes a slur used against women. But that's another thing. What she was trying to do tonight is say not just that she is running for president, but why she is running for president. And tried to make a believable case as to why she's running for president beyond just 
because she wants to be president. Did she do well at that, Minico? You have to run on something. You have to run for something. And the caricature of Hillary Clinton coming into this from some folks was that she doesn't really care about anything else except herself. And I think that she was able to very deftly tonight, and the party itself was able to show all of the ways in which Hillary Clinton has passion, real passion, behind the scenes for real policies and to help people. Well, at, like they talked about her work on the Children's Health Insurance Program, they talked about her work just after law school, lots of advocacy work, so they basically said her resume proves that she's really serious about these things. Yeah, I think in a way she showed her heart. Um, and then Clinton defended her record after that on health care and education disabilities. So it's true. I sweat the details of policy, whether we're talking about the exact level of lead in the drinking water in Flint, Michigan, the number of mental health facilities in Iowa, or the cost of your prescription drugs. Because it's not just a detail if it's your kid, if it's your family. It's a big deal. And it should be a big deal to your president, too. This is Hillary Clinton trying to take one of her weaknesses or one of the things that she is, you know. She's a bureaucrat. She's mocked for it. She, She is deep in the weeds. She has a lot of plans. I don't know if you've heard, but on her website, there are a lot of plans. And, and she is trying to take that sort of wonkiness and say, hey, you know what, actually... The details of public policy are what actually affect real people's lives. And then Clinton herself acknowledged the historic nature of her nomination, and the crowd went wild. Tonight, we've reached a milestone in our nation's march toward a more perfect union. The first time that a major party has nominated a woman for president. my mother's daughter and my daughter's mother. I'm so happy this day has come. I'm happy for grandmothers and little girls and everyone in between. I'm happy for boys and men because when any barrier falls in America, it clears the way for everyone. When there are no ceilings, the sky's the limit. You like that line, Tamara. I did like that line. This, this is like the obligatory, you better mention that glass ceiling line, but I thought it was clever, and it was very well received in the room. Yeah. And it's memorable. That's the thing. Like, Hillary Clinton doesn't always have a lot of memorable lines. That one's memorable. She had a few tonight, yeah. So besides that, she also talked about the economy, how it's not working, she seemed to nod to Bernie Sanders and his themes and his supporters throughout the night. Uh, and then she moved to national security. So just ask yourself, do you really think Donald Trump has the temperament to be commander in chief? <laughs> Donald Trump can't even handle the rough and tumble of a presidential campaign. He loses his cool at the slightest provocation. 
when he's gotten a tough question from a reporter, when he's challenged in a debate, when he sees a protester at a rally. Imagine, if you dare, imagine, imagine him in the Oval Office facing a real crisis. A man you can bait with a tweet is not a man we can trust with nuclear weapons. This is a very interesting thing that her campaign has been doing and that she did in this speech and that other people have done at this convention, which is they're flipping the script. You know, the, the old stereotype is that women are too hysterical. How could you have a woman with her finger near the button, especially, you know, that time of the month? Can a woman be president? Can she? Well, the Clinton campaign, Hillary Clinton, are trying to flip the script on that, and they're actually saying, oh my gosh. Is, can you imagine? Can you imagine that temperamentally unfit tweeter guy being yeah. president? I, they're, they're totally turning this on its head. What they're actually trying to do in a lot of cases uh, is to show a softer side, which well, is something that you kind of like flip the script from 15, 20 years ago. So there was this line that Meryl Streep gave her this week. She said, a woman to do this job, to get to this place, has to show grace and grit. Mm -hmm. And I think what we've yeah. seen with Hillary Clinton is a presentation of both traditionally masculine and um, like feminine traits, right? Yeah. Whereas with Trump, point. he is just hyper-masculine all the time. He is. It was a hyper-masculine convention exactly. last week. And no I think question. Hillary Clinton and this and this whole convention, they're trying to, in so many ways, as say you, you can be both of these things at once. As you would say, Sam, there were all the feels. <laughs> This week. Certain kind of feels. I mean, yeah. there is yeah. no question. I mean, like whether it was law enforcement or talking about 9/11, which are two things that you could go real hard on. Democrats went very soft, and not in the way that like weak, but in the way well, that like they were trying to show that these things affect real people's lives. And they were saying that you can care about both of these things at once. So yeah. what I noticed tonight, the big theme was. You can care about Black Lives Matter and law enforcement at the same time. You can be fair to Muslims and fight ISIS at the same time. You can have a strong foreign policy and be friendly to our allies in NATO at the same time. That was the theme of the night. You can juggle more than one ball at once. I mean, I thought the balance that they struck was remarkable this week when it came to this issue of law enforcement in particular, because last week was all Blue Lives Matter. Yes. And I think it would have been a very problematic situation if we came out of uh, these two conventions with one saying blue lives matter and the other saying black lives yeah. matter but you'll notice only. in this speech of hillary's she mm -hmm. did not say the words themselves well, she talked true. about race and yeah. policing but did not say specifically black lives matter we have some tape of that right now so let's put ourselves in the shoes of young black and latino men and women who face the effects of systemic racism and are made to feel like their lives are disposable Let's put ourselves in the shoes of police officers kissing their kids and spouses goodbye every day, heading off to do a dangerous and necessary job. We will. And she closed her speech by talking about the lessons her mother taught her that she had to stand up to bullies, and this was clearly a reference to Donald Trump. And she talked about hard work as well. We lost our mother a few years ago, but I miss her every day, and I still hear her voice urging me to keep working, keep fighting for right no matter what. That's what we need to do together as a nation. And though we may not 
Live to see the glory, as the song from the musical Hamilton goes. Let us gladly join the fight. Let our legacy be about planting seeds in a garden you never get to see. That's why we're here, not just in this hall, but on this earth. The founders showed us that, and so have many others since. They were drawn together by love of country and the selfless passion to build something better for all who follow. That is the story of America, and we begin a new chapter tonight. Yes, the world is watching what we do. Yes, America's destiny is ours to choose. So let's be stronger together, my fellow Americans. Let's look to the future with courage and confidence. Let's build a better tomorrow for our beloved children and our beloved country. And when we do, America will be greater than ever. Thank you, and may God bless you and the United States of America. Cue Katy Perry. Forest of Fireworks starts playing. There were actual fireworks. Okay. Pyrotechnics. So overall, what do we think of this speech? I so here's my theory. All she really had to do tonight was hit her marks, hit her lines, you know, and she did that. She did that. Yeah. I and I don't think it. I don't actually think it is one of her best speeches. I think she's. But given, you were saying before, it's hard to give a speech all about yourself, especially after really a lot of folks hard. talk really well about you. It's I, really hard to talk about yourself. I actually think she did create a vision of a country and deliver an affirmative message what was the vision? that was left out. I think the Democrats all week kind of led up and built up to this moment with the kind of, you know, inclusive party, an inclusive country. You know, it's very different than the kind of vision of America that Donald Trump laid out last week. I think that, that Donald Trump left a huge opening for Democrats when he said, I alone can fix it. When that, she referenced that in the yeah, speech. And that yes. became a driving narrative of this week and played right into the together theme that finally gave resonance to that theme, not just as a smack toward Donald Trump, but to say, you know, together means everybody works together. All right, one quick break. We'll be right back to talk about the other speeches of the night, including Chelsea Clinton's. We'd like to say a quick thank you and share a message from one of our sponsors, United Health Group, who asks, how can we really improve health care? Bring back the house call, open walk-in clinics in convenient places, help more moms get prenatal care, or use technology to find insights that lower healthcare costs. Maybe help doctors spend more time with patients, not paperwork. What if we did all of this and more? Because it's all connected to better care, and better care means better health. United Health Group, built for better health. Learn more at unitedhealthgroup.com. Support for this podcast also comes from Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that makes shopping effortless and fun for busy women on the go. Complete your personal style quiz and then schedule to receive your first personalized shipment. No subscription required. Your stylist will send you five hand-selected pieces of clothing delivered right to your door. Buy what you want and send back the rest with free shipping both ways. Get started at stitchfix.com. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X.com. 
So Chelsea Clinton introduced her mother tonight. She is in a unique position. She's the daughter of a president who is trying to make the case for her mother to be another president. Probably safe to say that she was not as charismatic at the podium as Ivanka Trump, that other daughter of a contender. But she did deliver, unlike a lot of Trump family, uh, actual anecdotes and personal stories. Whenever my mom was away for work, which thankfully didn't happen very often, she left notes for me to open every day she was gone, all stacked neatly together in a special drawer with a date on the front of each one so I would know which note to open on which day. This is a real contrast. Ivanka Trump last week came out, delivered a very strong, very firm, a a very good speech. But, like, I didn't learn anything about her relationship with her dad other than that her dad was great. And what Chelsea Clinton came out and did was told stories about her mom. She also told stories about her mom as a working mom. You know, the whole, like, work-life balance thing, the mommy wars that we're, have been in the midst of as a country for a while now, she came out and took this thing that in the past had been a liability for Hillary Clinton and made it a story about, look at my mom could be at this really big law firm and she could also write me notes when she went out of town. Chelsea Clinton's speech, you know, I thought she sort she had one objective in mind and she probably did it as best she could, which is to, you know, humanize her mom, deliver some stories to say, you know, here's how close I was to my mother. And you got a sense that these two have a very warm relationship. You get the sense that Chelsea is very close to her mother, that her mom has always cared for her and has always looked out for her. So the Democrats before Chelsea Clinton and Hillary Clinton actually focused a lot on armed forces and law enforcement. General John Allen uh, had a drill sergeant-style threat to ISIS tonight. To our enemies, we will pursue you as only America can. You will fear us. And to ISIS and others, we will defeat you. Like, is this the Democratic <laughs> Convention? Well, what's so interesting, so during his speech, there were some Bernie protesters chanting, no, no more, more war, war, no more. Yeah. And they were shouted down mm-hmm. by chants of USA. thought you'd hear that kind of dynamic at a Democratic convention. Pretty amazing. You know, and that was well orchestrated. Just one more example of the Democrats knowing what the perception is, knowing what the idea that they're too soft on ISIS and trying to play a little bit of a jujitsu here. The thing that struck me about that speech and just that stretch of the evening was the emotional toll that it took on this audience and the ups and downs. You went from you know, you had this big angry speech, right? They're channeling this anger. And earlier you had the tears and the somberness of the father whose son had died in Iraq, who was a Muslim father. Uh, so, of- Domenico, you're talking about uh, the parents of Humayun Khan. They came on stage. Khan was a captain in the army. He was killed in Iraq trying to save his crew. He received a Purple Heart after his death. Um, the Khans are Muslim. And Khan's father, Kaiser, he said the following to Donald Trump. Donald Trump, you're asking Americans to trust you with their future. Let me ask you, have you even read the United States Constitution? And then he comes with the receipts and pulls out a pocket constitution. It was a moment. I will gladly lend you my copy. 
in this document look for the words look for the words liberty and equal protection of law it was a moment yeah it was a major moment and you had him say what have you sacrificed have you ever been to arlington cemetery go look at the graves of brave patriots who died defending united states of america you will see all faiths genders and ethnicities you have sacrificed nothing and no one you've lost no one i mean how do you, this is not just like a a political prop kind of thing you know this is somebody who he felt feels deep emotion and feeling of alienation in this country based on the rhetoric that Donald Trump has put forward. And he said at the outset of his speech, you're not going to find more patriotic people than us. So another very powerful speech came from Reverend William Barber of North Carolina, who I actually profiled you before did, when yeah. I lived in North Carolina a while back. He's been a very charismatic leader in the left in that state for years. Um, and he gave a very impassioned plea tonight to revive what he called the heart of America with this election. In this season, when some want to harden and stop the heart of our democracy. We are being called, like our foremothers and fathers, to be the moral defibrillators of our time. We, we, must, we must shock this nation with the power of love. We must shock this nation with the power of mercy. We must shock this nation and fight for justice for all. We can't give up on the heart of our democracy, not now, not ever. And then he kept this riff going, and I mean, by the end of his speech, the entire crowd was just there in a place. I'm struck by, you know, this is a little aside, but the oratory, we've seen lots of different kind of oratorical styles. Yeah, you're I right, mean, you're right. And, and the, the roots of that oratory, to me, are kind of fascinating. You know, you listen to somebody like Andrew Cuomo, who was always much more somber in his delivery, uh, even more so than his father, uh, Mario Cuomo, the former governor of the state. But he sounded more like a Catholic priest, you yeah. know, it was like... And I also have noticed... What the eight years of Obama have done for these kind of crowds is to allow them to really embody the feel of an audience at a black church. Yeah. You get a lot more call and response now with these speeches. You get a lot more of the audience feeling and going with the speaker, and it's 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 a, a back and forth in this dance. And Obama mixes it in, right? He's sort of mainstream that. Exactly. I mean, he kind of, you know, preacherfied the yeah. end of his speech. And then with Barbara, we saw a real preacher actually do it, and, he, and it was even more powerful. <laughs> <laughs> so... Folks are going to leave this convention still with some divisions. But overall, did the convention itself accomplish its goals? From day one to four, were the thematic points hit? Were the words said? Did they get it done? I think that by the time you got to Hillary Clinton's speech today, before she ever said a word, they had created an idea of this race, of this election, as being about not Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump, but more like... America versus, versus Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. 
Yeah. And they really built that up with the generals and with the relatives and with with all of these people that came up on stage and spoke. They they made this about something more than Hillary Clinton, which I think is exactly what she needed yeah. to do. I also think the production on this one was just a little bit better. Yeah. I think that every night they stuck to theme. I think that the arc of tonight especially built to a crescendo of the presentation of Hillary in this beautiful white pantsuit and it's like they built a moment. They built a moment this entire week. Yeah, and traditionally that's what conventions do. You know, they build to something at the end of the week. You had that absolutely happen here. It was flawlessly orchestrated uh, in almost every respect. Now, here's the thing. Usually, conventions are about winning over some kind of swing voters or independents. I just don't know anymore if that exists. Like, who are these mythical swing voters who, <laughs> you know, were like, I don't know, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, I could go either way. I mean, <laughs> I think who there, is that? I think, I know Republicans who are in that yeah, position. Yeah. I absolutely do. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about, like, Beltway Republicans. Yeah, but the right. thing There's, is, do either of these candidates or parties know how to get to those people? Like, well, really make their I, mind up? I think Democrats tried with this convention. They had two Republicans speak earlier tonight. Yeah. Uh, you know, they've had uh, Mike Bloomberg speak, yeah. who might try to talk to... You know, they tried to hit every kind of demographic that you possibly could. Republicans, they're banking on the fact that they believe that uh, the country is worse off uh, then eight years ago, and that they're going to sell that message that Donald Trump can fix it, and are hoping that that kind of, you know, message of toughness and strength will propel him over the finish line. It's it's still going to be, you know, a tall order, I think, but we're going to have to see where things fall yeah. in the next few weeks before as things settle. Yeah. So what is next? There's going to be some polls that come out next week, I'm sure, about whatever bump Clinton gets from this. You know they're gonna they're going to drop these polls. They're gonna be good polls and bad polls. Let's see where the trend goes. I'd say I'd say in three weeks you'll probably have a better sense of the direction of this race. Yeah. I also think that a big game changer is gonna come when these debates start. Oh, no, no question about it. I think it's gonna make so many next. more things clear. And that's, that's gonna be and that's in the, what like 58 days. Yeah, you've got each of those three debates and then the one vice presidential debate. Those are the. All those are the potential game changers, uh, aside from whatever gaffes happen. But the thing is, what I think people should brace for a little bit is the speed at which everything's going to go in the next couple months. Because remember, <laughs> the primary campaign went on for a year and a half almost. Oh, yeah. Lord. This yeah, is just going to be... Don't oh. remind me. This yes. is, but this is just going to be a few months of a really fast, sharp, and dirty campaign. Um, that's it. We're there. We made it. It has been so great doing this. I want to give a shout out to all of our listeners and supporters who have been showing so much love on social media, in person at both conventions. We really, really appreciate it. I also want to thank all of my podcast colleagues. This was my first convention, and I didn't know anything about this. And you guys always managed to make me feel smarter without making me feel stupid. Aww. And I appreciate that. So, yeah, we'll be back to our regular schedule of weekly episodes every Thursday evening and quick takes here and there throughout the week on big news as it happens. Thank you for giving us your questions and your feedback at nprpolitics at npr.org, especially those of you that send voice memos and the occasional song. We like that. As always, you can find more of our coverage of politics on your local public radio station. Also, check out the NPR Politics Facebook page and review our podcast on iTunes. Really, y'all, do that, please. Thanks to our superhuman production squad, Brent Bachman, Barbara Sprunt, 
Chris Benderev tonight for his help. Beth Donovan, our fearless, faithful editor for some very late nights these past two weeks. One of them fell asleep in an edit this week. I'm not going to say who. <laughs> um, and to all of the folks on the NPR technical side and engineering staff who helped us this entire last two weeks, it's been a team effort. None of this happens with just a few people. It's a lot of people. Yes. So, thank you. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. And I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. Domenico and I are off to write the first single for Vocalness. Let's do it. We'll see you next time. Do I get to sing you or get am to I sing. just going to be are a you? backup dancer are again, you? Sam Sanders? <laughs> you can sing. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. <laughs>